Hi there and welcome. This is Amanda, the founder of Astrology Hub, and you're listening to our week ahead snapshot with world-class astrologer, historian, and author of the Cosmic Calendar, Christopher Renstrom. This show is designed to give you a quick overview of the week ahead, enabling you the gift of choice in how you navigate and weave these energies into your daily life. Enjoy. This podcast episode is brought to you by Astrology Hub's Inner Circle. Awaken your soul, find connection, and transform your life with the world's top astrologers in a heart-centered community. Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom. I'm your weekly horoscope columnist here on Astrology Hub. And this week, I wanted to talk to you about the sun conjoining Chiron on April 5th and then later, the full moon in Libra that evening. Now let's take a moment to talk about Chiron. Chiron, as it's known in astrology, is an asteroid. It's named after the mythological healer, who is actually known as being the wounded healer. That comes from the fact that he was accidentally wounded by an arrow, a poisoned arrow, fired by Hercules in the middle of a melee and being half-mortal, half-immortal, was never able to cure himself of that wound. Nevertheless, he continued to attend to the wounds of others. And so this is the uh, archetype of the wounded healer, uh, the mythological centaur in which Chiron the asteroid gets its name. Chiron, in astrology, is an asteroid that's found between the planets Saturn and Jupiter. It was discovered on October 18, 1977, and it has an elliptical orbit, meaning that it's not a circular orbit, but it orbits in an ellipsis, a sort of like large oval shape. So Chiron has an elliptical orbit that can take it outside of Uranus's orbit around the sun and then inside of Jupiter's. So that means that it can move outside of Jupiter's orbit outside of Uranus's orbit even, and then while it's orbiting the sun, come in closer than even Jupiter and then start its strange elliptical orbit around the sun again. Chiron is part of a class of asteroids which are called the centaurs, and they are found between the planets Saturn and Uranus. Chiron is now regarded as a dwarf planet and perhaps even a comet. Now, when we begin the myth of Chiron, when we talk about Chiron's character, where he comes from, it's interesting that the past few weeks I've been talking so much about Saturn and Uranus, because Chiron actually sort of picks up um, around the point after Saturn has discovered that he's to be overthrown by one of his children. He has swallowed each child as it's been born. And then the last child, Zeus, was secreted away. Saturn's wife, Rhea, realizing that all of her children are being swallowed by her husband, uh, takes the youngest, Zeus, and gives him to a nursemaid. And, and the nursemaid takes him to an island in the, in the Mediterranean Sea. She then has a boulder wrapped up in swaddling clothes, and she hands that to her husband. And that's the one that Saturn swallows and Therefore, the boulder joins the rest of the gods and the goddesses in the belly of Saturn. Now, according to this particular myth, this myth of Chiron, and what happens a lot in mythology is that there's not a true line. There are different versions of a myth or, or different offshoots of a myth. That's what happens with an oral tradition when things aren't written down. Things can be added or subtracted according to the storyteller and, and how many times the story was told or in what environment the story was told. So in this particular myth, we pick up Saturn at a point when he is hunting for Zeus. He's hunting for Jupiter. So what has happened is evidently Saturn has discovered Rhea's lie, her deceit, and he's gone off in pursuit of Jupiter, of, of Zeus, the youngest, the youngest of the gods, because he knows as long as there is a child of his, a true child of his, that is alive somewhere on Earth, 
he can be overthrown. And so Saturn sort of like uh, swoops over all the islands and countries and mountaintops of, of Earth. He investigates all the caves and all of the remote uh, mountain peaks, looking, hunting for this child that has been secreted away. And during his meanderings, or his search rather, it's not really, well, it's a meandering search. He doesn't really have an idea of where he's going. He's just kind of like looking. Okay. So, so during his meandering search uh, for this lost child, for this hidden child, really, Kronos comes upon a young nymph named Philera, uh, who he's immediately smitten with, or that's at least what they tell you in, in the texts that have been translated from the Latin. Um, he's actually turned on by her, okay? There's nothing remotely romantic. He's attracted to her, and he wants to have her, okay? And Philera, being a nymph who's, you know, been around a few gods that have looked at her in that way, uh, immediately bolts, okay? She, she runs for the hills, and Saturn rushes after her, and so she changes into all these different shapes, and he changes into all these different shapes, and finally, she changes into a mare, um, and she gallops wildly and ferociously and, 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 and very, very quickly. And Saturn turns into a stallion, and he gallops right after her. And, and as a stallion, he mounts her, which is what they say. Um, actually, he uh, uh, rapes her, uh, is, is, is what happens. And, and she is with child, and she gives birth to this child who is a product of a union that she did not want. Saturn has left and gone in search of Zeus. And she gives birth to this child, and the child is hideous. I mean, Philera has, has, has resumed with her appearance as a nymph. And uh, she gives birth to this child, and this child is half human and half horse, and therefore is repulsive to her. The child was repulsive to her anyway, because the child is a product of rape and not of love. Uh, it's a product of, of an assault. And so what Philera does is that she abandons the child. And this was a custom that was uh, done quite frequently in ancient Greece. Children who were not wanted were left on the sides of hills where the elements would take them, but it was actually maybe predatory animals or something, or, or exposure resulted in the death of the child. So unwanted children were not killed by the parents themselves. But they were sort of left on the on the sides of hills. And as you might imagine, the most children who were exposed or left on the sides of hills unwanted were girl children. But in this case, it happens to be a boy, and but it's a male, and he's half human and half horse, and he is uh he is tremendously repulsive, not only, you know, in the memory of of his conception, but also in his appearance. And why do I really emphasize this? I emphasize this to really show how unwanted Chiron was. Um, he's, he's, he's a misshapen child. He's the product of, of a violent assault. So he is not wanted at all. This is how Chiron begins. In addition to this, what's also an interesting thing to note in the telling of the myth is that Saturn didn't kill um, or swallow. Saturn didn't swallow Chiron, and Saturn not swallowing Chiron shows, uh, it testifies to the fact that Chiron is not a true god. He is, he is a mixed being, and so he is, left, he is left on the side of the hill to die. Chiron. Chiron means hand in Greece, and when you think of a hand, and you think of Chiron and, and his occupation as a healer, his, his gifts as a healer, you can't help but think of healing hands. And, and so that is the association to Chiron. Um, but what's also interesting, and that's also associated to Chiron, is palmistry. Uh, palmistry comes from the word chiromancy, which means basically to study or to read a hand. And uh, palmistry was very popular in ancient Greece. It progressed independently in Greece, where Anaxagoras practiced it. Aristotle, who lived from 384 to 322 BCE, reportedly discovered a treatise on the subject of palmistry on an altar of Hermes. 
somewhere. I don't know, like Aristotle, I guess, just sort of picked up this treatise um, on palmistry, which then, according to myth, I don't think that this ever took place. Aristotle never mentions palmistry. But according to this myth, um, he then presented it to Alexander the Great. Uh, and it was Alexander the Great who took great interest in examining the character of his officers by analyzing the lines on his hand. So that is the supposed origin of palmistry, I think. It was around a lot longer, um, but that's, you know, th that's the story that's told in order to legitimize palmistry. But chiromancy is the study of the, of, of the palm in order to, you know, study one's character and future. But what's also important with the idea of hands and why I wanted to link it, you know, uh, with, with the name Chiron, which is the name that this half centaur, half human takes on, is that hands were used to diagnose you know, you you feel for the pulse. You you check the different uh, parts of the throat. You you observe and you look over the body. So this idea of inspecting, this idea of diagnosing, is something that's very much associated to the hands and uh, to the root word of chiromancy, which is chiron, which is chiron, which is the healer. Now, unbeknownst to Chiron's parents because they didn't stick around to find out. Um, Chiron didn't perish on the side of the hill. And the reason that Chiron didn't perish on the side of the hill as an infant is that uh, Chiron was half mortal and half immortal. Um, this being the mixture of, of the god and of the nymph. And, and so he's, he's, he's a mixture of the two. So he's half mortal and he's half immortal. And, and so Chiron, as we popularly know him, we think of him as a centaur. Okay, so we think of him, you know, like the emblem of Sagittarius. He's half, he's half man, and then he, you know, the torso sort of stops just beneath the navel, and then the rest of the body is this elegant horse with four legs, and he gallops, and he trots, and he, you know, prances, and he bucks, and all those things that centaurs do, you know, when they sort of parade around on their, on their four legs. But if you look at early depictions of Chiron on pottery, on vases, chiefly depictions of Chiron at the uh, wedding of Peleus and, and Thetis, he appears, you know, but he's not a true centaur in the way that we understand him. He always is depicted in these early versions as carrying a stick over one shoulder in which are hanging rabbits and birds and fowl and things like this. So he's associated to the wild, to, to the forests, to the lands outside of cities, and, and, and of hunting. And so he brings food and he, and he provides food. And he's always associated by a dog, uh, which makes a lot of sense if you're going to go um, hunting. So, but the thing is, Chiron is a full human being from head to toe. Okay, and this is what's fascinating about these vases. He's a full human being from head to toe. And from the back of his spine and his buttocks emerges the body of the horse, and then the last, and, and then the two hind legs of the horse. So Chiron has arms like a human, and he has legs like a human, and he walks forward, but behind him, uh, his body or is a body of the horse that comes out of really the base of his spine to the two hind legs and, and the horse's tail. And that's a fascinating image because it shows that Chiron cannot gallop. He cannot run. He cannot trot. He cannot do. He's not locomotive. He's not mobile and agile in the ways that, that the other centaurs, that the true centaurs are. He's a mix. Just as he's a mix of mortal and immortal, he's a mix of human and horse. And he's rather a clumsy mix. And Chiron has a history in a number of different myths, becoming wounded by an arrow from Hercules that shot. Chiron is constantly wounding himself. He's dropping arrows on his foot and knocking things over. Because imagine a fellow trying to live in a house with the back part of it being a horse or a kid, you know, so... He's knocking things over. He's looking around and knocking things over with his big hindquarters. So Chiron is not this elegant, um, agile figure, which becomes uh, romanticized in later paintings. He's actually a very clumsy one. And I think it's a very important thing to keep in mind with him. 
So, so, so this is really what people regarded about him as being deformed. It was just the different body parts didn't all go together. And uh, thank goodness, thank goodness he was good at healing, which of course he becomes famous and renowned for. How does he become renowned and famous for this? Chiron is discovered as an infant yowling on the side of a hill by Apollo. And Apollo is the sun god. He's the god of music, prophecy, poetry, and healing. Okay. Apollo knows the healing arts. So what Apollo does is that he takes Chiron and he raises Chiron as his own child. And he teaches Chiron to be a great teacher, perhaps the greatest teacher in all of ancient Greece. And so Chiron was tutor to lots of people, okay, uh, lots of men, okay, because these are the people who were allowed to be educated in ancient Greece. Chiron was tutor to, but, but to legendary heroes. So Chiron was tutor to Hercules, Achilles, Jason, Actaeon, and Asclepius. And this is why I really wanted to invoke and talk about Chiron's conjunction to the sun in Aries this week. When we think of the sun in Aries, okay, if you're familiar with the planetary dignities, the sun is exalted in the zodiac sign of Aries, okay? Planetary dignities talk about the four different signs, in most cases, where a planet either is lifted in station or lowered or diminished in station. It depends on the zodiac sign that the planet is in. The sun, for instance, is in domicile in the zodiac sign of Leo, meaning it's at home in the zodiac sign of Leo. That's where it belongs. And that's where it, you know, is like, honey, I'm home. You know, so, so, so in the zodiac sign of Leo. And of course, when the sun is in Leo, that's the time of our agricultural year here in the Northern Hemisphere, in which days are hot, uh, life is growing, abundance in the summer. This you know, harvest is not limited to the end of summer, September. We are harvesting continually through the summer as the different fruits and vegetables ripen and, and present themselves. And so the sun is seen as a benevolent figure in the zodiac sign of Leo. It's at home in Leo. The sun is in detriment, meaning not at home, when it is in the zodiac sign of Aquarius. Why? Because Aquarius, which is late January to late February here in the Northern Hemisphere, is the winter. This is when days are shortest, nights are longest, and we're all very cold. And there's lots of snow. And recently, lots of snow in sunny states that weren't supposed to be getting snow. Anyway, um, this is why the sun is in detriment in Aquarius. It's seen as being the most remote and the weakest. The sun is in fall. Uh, that, that's said to be the worst place. And it's not a judgment on the sign that it's in fall. And it was merely an observation of the agricultural year. The sun is in fall. It comes to an end uh, in the zodiac sign of Libra because that's the end of the agricultural year. It's it's the pairing. It's the equinox that's paired to Aries, which is the spring equinox. And so the sun is in fall in Libra because it's saying goodbye to all of us. It's saying goodbye to all of us as it heads into the autumnal and then the winter months when it's going to become increasingly more remote and days are going to become increasingly more cold and nights are going to become longer. Therefore, the sun is exalted, most celebrated, when it is in the zodiac sign of Aries, because it's when the sun is in the zodiac sign of Aries, which is the spring equinox, that it announces the beginning of a new year. And indeed, until recently, New Year's was always celebrated on the spring equinox until someone got it in their mind somewhere to celebrate it on January 1st. Actually, it started with uh, Caesar. I think it's Julius Caesar. Uh, then January 1st was kind of like whatever for moved to the back row of the bus and then it was spring equinox and then January 1st was reinstituted by the Pope uh, somewhere in I think the later uh, in like the 15 or the 1600s. Um, but in Persia and in other countries uh, going east from the Mediterranean, New Year's is still the spring equinox. And so this is the sun when it's most celebrated because we're all very happy to see the sun coming back again. Um, and I would imagine there are a number of you who are like, when is it going to be spring yet? We're still having snow or winter. Okay, so, 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 so the sun is greeted. It's, it's celebrated in, in, in Aries because it's coming back. Life is beginning to live again. And this is an exalted time. This is a celebrated time. 
We love it in Leo, but sometimes those days are too hot, you know, but we adore it. Okay, we love it in Leo, but we adore it in Aries because it's coming back and things are beginning to grow again. And in ancient uh, societies, it was like a huge relief because everyone's like, you know, yes, that's good. Winter's over. Now we can start to grow things. And this is a wonderful and good thing. And this is the connection to Aries. But Aries, we know, is ruled by the planet Mars, which is named after the god of war. And that's where we're going to bring in the connection uh, between the sun exalted in Aries and Chiron. We already have a connection because Apollo is a sun god and is the god of healing. And so it's exalted in Aries. But we're going to now unpack a different aspect of Chiron, which isn't often talked about. Chiron was the tutor to Hercules, Achilles, Jason, Actaeon, and Asclepius. These are his most famous students. He had many students, but these are his most famous students. The first four men, Hercules, Achilles, Jason, and Actaeon, are famous for going on adventures and fighting wars. Okay, so these were men who knew their way around a battlefield and, and, and wielded weapons. And when you wield a weapon, you hurt people. And what I wanted to underscore here is that in the Iliad, for example, and the Iliad is the great story of Achilles and it's the battle, it's the Trojan War. Um, in the Iliad, for example, this is where we encounter for the really kind of the first time explicitly how soldiers on the battlefield are also physicians. And this is a very important idea for understanding Chiron in Aries. Okay. Now, if you think about it for a moment, okay, people are killing people, but they're also healers. Like, how does that work? Okay. Um, and how it works is I want you to imagine yourself on a battlefield surrounded by soldiers. Some of them are your friends and some of them are not your friends and you're going at it with each other. Um, actually you're, you're forming a line with shields and, and, but anyway, um, but, but you're, you're in the fury of battle. Hmm? Um, now let's say your friend, you know, and, and, and soldiers had friends, they had comrades. Okay. Um, if you were from Sparta, uh, more often than not, your comrade was also your lover. And, and that was something that was institutionalized in Sparta, but that's a story for another time. But so your, your, your soldier, your, your, your friend, your comrade who was watching your back and you're watching your, your, your comrades back, your, your, your friends back, let's say your friend becomes wounded. There is no mash unit on the battlefield of Troy, okay? There are no medics that are like, you know, running on in with a red cross and um, scooping up the wounded and, and moving them away, okay? So your friend, your comrade, the person who means the most to you in battle is dying. And if it's not for you performing a bit of impromptu uh, surgery or bounding the wound so that it stops healing, that person will die. So all sol soldiers in, in ancient Greece were also physicians. Uh, this is in part where we get Mars ruling over surgery, which is the piercing of the skin with the blade to remove an item. But Mars is, was also connected to anything in which there was the spilling of blood outside the body. And you may or may not know this, but barbers for a long time, uh, people who cut your hair, uh, of course, they're ruled by Mars because it's scissors and it's cutting and it's shaving, right? But barbers also were bleeders, meaning if someone was with an illness, and this tradition went on for many centuries, if someone was with an illness or had a lump or a bump or something along those lines or had a fever, um, you went to the barber and the barber would either apply leeches or do cuts on the body in certain areas to release the blood and therefore release. Um, the infection or whatever had gotten into your body that was causing all of this. And that's why barber poles, uh, I don't think we have them anymore, but when I was growing up, in the time when fire first came from the sky, we did. Uh, but, but barber poles traditionally had stripes of white and red on an angle that would spin around uh, very, very slowly. Well, that red was for blood uh, because that's where you went to get bled. Um, so, so barber poles, that's the story of why they were white and red. Uh, it comes from their uh, practice, the barber's practice as also being bleeders. Um, so, so the person who wounds 
is also the healer, which I think is such a fantastic way to think of Chiron, all right? The person who wounds is also the healer. And by the way, uh, the quote where we first hear this in the Iliad is from Book 11, where a soldier who has fallen or been wounded on the battlefield turns to um, another soldier, a comrade, and says, but save me. He says, but save me. Take me to the ship. Cut this arrow out of my leg. Wash the blood from it with warm water and put the right things on it. The plants, they say, you have learned about from Achilles, who learned them from Chiron, the best of the centaurs. So this soldier that he's pleading to, he says, put the right things on it. Extract the arrow and put the right things on it because the plants, they say, you, you learn which medicinal plants and herbs to apply. You learned this from Achilles, and, and we know this is good because Achilles had learned this from Chiron. So this is the reputation of Chiron and is Chiron's uh, first mention uh, in, in the Iliad. What this really goes to sort of say, it's something that we all kind of know, but I want you to sort of think in the context that I've brought it up, we're all like the soldier physicians, okay? We're all the soldier physicians. We all can wound and we all, we all can heal. But, but, and this is a very important thing when we talk about Chiron, we can't heal our own wound. So in other words, we all can wound, we all can heal, but we can't heal our own wound. And that is the lesson of Chiron. Why? Because what Chiron represents in your astrological chart is this. Chiron, in your chart, speaks to your ability to heal in others something that you cannot heal in yourself. I want you to hear that one more time because I think it's very, very important. Chiron, in your chart, speaks to your ability to heal in others something that you cannot heal in yourself. That is a big idea, okay? Because when I was learning about Chiron and the idea of wounded healer and things like this, you know, my idea was like, oh, you know, there's, there's an empathy, you know, Chiron's in pain and understands what it's like to be in pain. And, um, and so, uh, you know, out of that understanding of what it's like to be in pain, there's compassion, there's sympathy. And so Chiron, you know, speaks to our, you know, having suffered pain and wounds and things like that. And so this gives us a compassion um, to want to heal others or to be there for others. And, and we can share this uh, burden, you know, uh, between the two of us. But that's not what Chiron is talking about. Chiron is talking about a wound in your chart um, that it's a wound in your chart that is incurable, just like the wound that Chiron has towards the end of his career and towards the end of his life when he is poisoned by an arrow from Hercules. And so you have an ability to heal in others something that you cannot heal in yourself. So there isn't a trade-off that's going on here, you know, like, I'm going to heal you and you can heal me, or I'm going to heal you because I've healed my wound and now I'm this benevolent healing figure. No, the Greeks had a, a, a much darker view of pain and being wounded than, than that. Um, what was being talked about and something that I really came to appreciate later on in my years of practicing was really the idea of the wound. When we are wounded, we are not necessarily good or nice people, okay? We are in pain. This is what's going on when we are wounded. We could be incapacitated, like, I can't get up and, and do this. Could you do this for me? Or we can be, or we can lash out. What I like to sort of use as an example is for any of you who've had a cat or, or, or a dog or, or some sort of pet, if it's wounded, if it's been hurt, you know, you, you, you want to naturally go to your pet and comfort it. But, you know, more often than not, your pet is not going to want to be comforted. 
more often than not, your pet is going to snarl or bite or lunge at you or run away. Okay. So, and so this is what I want you to really sort of put in mind when you think about your wound and when your wound has been triggered. Okay. It's, and I'm not talking just triggered psychologically, it can be that too, but when it's been rubbed against, when it's been rubbed the wrong way, that's what, you know, the phrase when rubbed, rubbed her the wrong way. Okay. Um, you know, there, there's a reaction. Okay. And, and it's because the wound has been touched. It's been rubbed the wrong way. And this is, this is Chiron in the chart. Okay. You're, you're, you're wounded in this area of your, of your chart in this area of your life. And it's not going to go away. It's going to be chronic Kronos, the Greek version of Saturn. Okay. It's something you live with all of your life. It might make you a generous person. And then again, it might not. It might be the reason why you uh, distance yourself from others or angry at other people or, or are in um, a, a foul or pained mood. People in pain are rarely in good moods. We're in dreadful moods. And, 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 and the focus is really wanting to get rid of that pain as much as we possibly can. So the way to work with Chiron in an interpretation is that you want to look at the sign that Chiron is in. And, and today we're talking about Chiron's conjunction to the sign. So we're going to be talking about Chiron in the zodiac sign of Aries. Okay. And what you want to ask yourself is, what is painful about this sign? All right. It's a, it's, 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 it's. A very simple question. What is painful about being this sign? All right. What is painful about being an Aries? What is painful about being a Gemini? What is painful about being a Scorpio? What is painful about being an Aquarius? What is painful about being this sign? Now, not in all charts are you going to have the sun and Chiron in the same sign. You may have a, a sun in Aquarius and a Chiron in Scorpio. So you have to ask the question, what is painful about being Scorpio, even though your sun is in the zodiac sign of Aquarius? What is painful about being this sign? And when you sit with that, that idea, you know, and really kind of soak in it, you know, a lot of things begin to emerge. It's not what's wrong about being the sign, what's wrong with being the sign. That's not the question that's being asked, okay? It's what's painful about being the sign, what's painful about being a Leo, okay? This is the question you want to ask. So when I think about what's painful about being an Aries, one of the things that I pretty much always go to with uh, Chiron, when I examine in the chart, is I begin with the fact that Chiron is so unwanted. Okay. Um, he's so unwanted. He's left on the side of a hill to perish. Okay. So that unwanted feeling is always going to be connected to Chiron. Okay. Uh, no one wants pain. Right. Okay. So pain is something that we regard as like, I want to avoid or repulse or repulsive. It's something we don't want. It's something we don't like. All right. Um, yeah, there's some of us that might be like, you know, no pain, no gain, you know, like taking on something. But when you're really in pain, I mean, I'm talking about a real pain, not, you know, like an exertion. Okay. When you're in pain, when you're wounded, you don't like that. That's not a great place to be. All right. And so that sort of idea of unwanted, Chiron is always occupying an unwanted corner of the chart, an undesirable corner of the chart. But when I think of, you know, the pain of being an Aries, I think of the Mars. Um, I think of the Mars, I think of, new, you know, like new pain, no gain. Okay? I think of like, you know, like pushing or exerting itself. Okay, it can be very Mars. Okay, but, but let's sit with it a bit more. Uh, Mars exerts. And Mars can be aggressive and Mars can be competitive and Mars can like see the challenge and take it on and, you know, triumph hopefully over it. That's what Mars wants to do. What does Mars not like? Okay. Mars doesn't like weakness. 
Okay. That's always the thing that will give away Aries is their profound distaste of weakness. They can't stand it. They can't stand it in another person. They'll often say, you know, if the person's like, you know, but I loved him, they'll be like, get over it. You know, I mean, like they can be very like not the most supportive sign in the Zodiac. Okay. Because their reaction to pain is that pain is weakness. You got hurt because you're weak. You know, you weren't tough enough. You know, and, and if you are hurt, then you should be tough enough to power through. Okay. So Aries has this really negative relationship, weakness. Um, and so when you have Chiron and Aries, regardless of whether you're an Aries or not, this is going to be the part of your chart. If someone touches it, you, you know, you're, you're going to respond. Okay. It's going to do that in every sign. But this is going to be the part of the chart that if someone rubs you the wrong way, brushes against you, touches you in this wounded spot, you know, maybe one of the ideas that you're going to have if you're Chiron and Aries is hands off. Okay. Uh, I, I liked that idea when I was thinking of, of, of Aries. It was like hands off. Okay. And, and, and not wanting to be touched, not because you're making it worse, but like, don't console me. Don't comfort me, hands off, you know? And then that le leads to the next idea that came to me, which is this idea of, I can take care of myself. People with Chiron and Aries have this hands off, I can take care of myself. So if, if they've slipped and fallen and someone's like, oh my God, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, can I help you up? Fine. I can get up. I can, I, I can get up. I'm fine. You know, nothing to see here. Okay. So this can be something that shows up with the Chiron and Aries. Because of the full moon taking place this week, these might be feelings that are coming up in you. Even if you don't even have Chiron and Aries, there might be this kind of like, hands off, I can take care of myself uh, sort of feeling. The other thing to watch out for with Chiron and Aries is the idea of, I hurt myself instead of I hurt myself, okay? Um, you know, Instead of loving myself, okay, what's that, that that heart shape? Okay, instead of I heart myself, I hurt myself, or I I I I I I, I criticize myself without any compassion. I say horrible things about myself. I call myself names. I hurt myself emotionally by by hurting my own feelings, or I put myself in situations where I know I'm going to be hurt. You know, um, and so and so there can be, um, you know, an absolute lack of compassion when it comes to myself when you have Chiron in Aries, uh, because there's an expectation that you shouldn't be hurting, that you shouldn't be weak, um, that you shouldn't be that you shouldn't be needy. You shouldn't need anyone can be very much uh, uh, Chiron in Aries. And then the other thing. Uh, the final thought that I that I had um, is the pain of not launching. Okay, Aries is so much about, bound up in the spring equinox. It's the beginning of the agricultural year. It's when you launch. It's when you begin things. Okay, it's spring. This is when you launch or you begin things, and so it can be the pain of not launching. You know that all the rockets went up, but mine fizzled, or mine went up and sort of like fell on over. Okay, so it's this pain of not launching, uh, that can be very, very difficult for people with Chiron and Aries to, to grapple with. Um, so the sun is exalted in Aries. The sun is going to play one part of this full moon equation, okay? Full moons are when the sun is opposite the moon. So this full moon that's taking place later on, on April 5th, in some areas the beginning of April 6th, uh, the sun will be opposite Libra, and the sun, of course, is going to be right next to, next to the Chiron. Okay, so the sun, as we know, is exalted in Aries. It wants to be celebrated. And um, it's not an inhibited sun. So this isn't Saturn conjunct the sun in Aries. This is something that's painful about the exaltation. There's something painful about, you know, arriving. And it's not necessarily people's expectations or applauding you or something along those lines, but it can be. There's something about being in the exalted experience that's painful. Let me break, break that down a little bit more. We have a full moon in Libra. 
All right, so we've talked a lot about the sun, but now we're going to talk about the moon because this is her time. Okay, she she appears in the evening, uh, so it's her time of day, and she's a full moon, and so she's she's full in the zodiac sign of Libra. Libra is the zodiac sign, as we all know, of relationships, among other things. It's law and justice and partnering, but it's pretty much partnering and relationships. And so the big question, the question that may be coming up for you at this time is around relationships and the pain you're experiencing in a relationship. And so I would apply that same question. What is painful about a relationship? Okay, now, now there could be lots of answers. Oh, this marriage should have ended decades ago, or you know, I'm I'm married to you know a lout, or I'm married to a real creep, or an indifferent partner, or whatever. Okay, we, uh, I I want to address what's painful about being in a relationship, a relationship that you cherish. Let's go with that. What's painful about being in a relationship that you cherish, um, or being open to, or beginning? A relationship that you cherish. And obviously the the pain of that is the fear of heartbreak. Um, but let's step past the fear. Let's say you're in a relationship, you're you're in, and it and it's long-standing. I mean, this is the person for you. Well, the pain obviously is losing that person. That's going to happen inevitably at some point. And and this is why. Chiron, as the wounded healer, is about healing and not about curing, okay? Because healing means to restore, whereas curing, curing means to get rid of or, or vanquish this altogether. Chiron is half mortal, half immortal. Chiron can die, and ultimately Chiron does die at the end of this mythological story. Um, but the, 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 the pain that comes up here, the incurable pain of being in a relationship, of being in a relationship you cherish. And it's not exclusive to um, a marriage or romantic. It could be any relationship that you cherish that, you know, that, that means a lot to you. The pain of that is that one day it's going to end because one of you is going to pass. And that, that, that's heavy. You know, that's something we don't want to think about. Or something that we're forced to think about if a partner, if our partner has fallen ill um, and our life is disrupted. So, so why is this coming up? Why, why would this be coming up? It's coming up, technically speaking, because it's a Chiron-Sun conjunction. It's opposite the moon. There's a full moon. But the moon is a lot about reflecting. Um, the moon is reflected light. The full moon itself, it's, the moon doesn't generate light. It reflects light. It reflects the light of the sun. So the moon in Libra is reflecting the light of Aries here. And that's not a lesser thing. Um, in fact, that's an equal thing, if not maybe perhaps more powerful, the moon in her majesty at night in the glory of her fullness. So, so the thing that we you know, may be feeling during this period of time because the moon really impacts our emotions and our feelings is we might feel all of a sudden going into a downward spiral or all of a sudden depressed or all of a sudden like really heavy or existential or whatever. And that's the Chiron, you know, Chiron's bringing up the vulnerability of being mortal um, and, and the guilt that might come from hurting others. Um, and the pain that comes from being hurt by others, and the paradoxes or the dilemmas of curing others or a frustration with our inability to cure someone else's ills. You know, someone can be going through a rough time. Maybe it's an alcohol addiction. Maybe it's a very painful illness. And, you know, there's no greater hell than watching a loved one in pain. You know, so so these might be things that aren't actually, they don't, I'm not saying that they're uh, necessarily happening. You know, if they're happening, you're aware of it. But it may bring up those emotions, those worries, those anxieties, those concerns. And the lovely thing about a lunar transit is that it doesn't last very long. As soon as the moon uh, completes its time in the sign, which is usually about two days, it moves on to another sign. And so like a mood or a feeling, it passes, 
And so you might, for instance, on April 5th, kind of like feel this like pain or maybe even a sorrow. Um, and then, you know, four days later, it may very, very well pass. And, and so that kind of explains it. I mean, in, in regards that you can experience this transit, but it's not going to last forever. It's a lunar transit. It moves, it moves um, very quickly, but it does ask you to reflect upon this, you know. Um, it does ask you to reflect upon how you experience relationship. Um, are you someone who uh, is hands-off, you know? Uh, you don't want anyone helping you. You don't want anyone showing you solace because that testifies to a weakness and that's a bad thing. Are you someone that you're not going to get in a relationship because you just don't want to feel that pain? Period. Ever. You know, and so and so you you resist that. Um, or are you perhaps on the flip side of it, someone who um wants to administer uh to someone else's pain to help someone with their pain and is being continually rebuffed or rejected and your feelings are being hurt and you don't understand why. Uh, perhaps these are some ideas that may resonate or make sense to you. But I think the important thing that I want to underscore is that we have a lot of rules about relationships. You know, we often will diagnose what's a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy relationship, you know, and, and, and um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about these are the things that you do to avoid toxic relationships or banish the modern vampire in the form of the narcissist. You know, these are the things that you should do. So there's a lot of um, cutting out of the body of bad relationship patterns or cutting out of the psyche, you know, uh, proclivities that might lead you to, you know, disastrous relationships. And there's not, there's not often a lot of understanding of the pain of being in a relationship, okay? The pain that you could be left or the pain that you could outlive, but also the pain of messing up and screwing up, you know? And do you throw the person, you know, when they mess up or screw up? I mean, some, sometimes, yeah. I mean, there's a pattern that's going on or, or the person really was like bad news, but, but sometimes relationships are ended prematurely. Um, or or the grudge remains from what was a disappointment or what was even a betrayal. It becomes the incurable wound. And a lot of times we want to cure that incurable wound, but what if we just sort of let that be, you know, and 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 let that sort of like occupy the place at the table that it occupies? We might we might begin to understand our relationship with that person differently. And we might be able to understand our rapport with that person differently and outside of it being sort of negative or self-destructive or toxic or something along those lines. But I think what I'm really getting to here, which comes highlighted to me with Chiron and Aries, is that the pain is need. Okay. Ultimately, uh, the pain for Chiron and Aries is, is need. It's the pain of needing someone. And what I want you to sort of think about is people need to be needed. You know, people need to be needed because if not, if not, why stick around? It's something to keep in mind. It's something to keep in mind during this time that the sun conjoins Chiron in the zodiac sign of Aries and creates a full moon with the moon in the zodiac sign of Libra. Every day, people around the globe turn to astrology to find inner peace and fulfillment, gain a deeper understanding of themselves and others, and navigate the tricky and complex world around them, only to be left lost and confused by resources that demand too much of their time, energy, and brain power. Because no matter how much you focus or commit to learning about astrology, you're trying to decipher the world's largest encyclopedia. And while learning astrology isn't supposed to be simple, 
It's a whole lot easier when you can tap into the minds of the world's best astrology experts and a community of like-minded souls who are here to support you on your journey. That's where we come in. Welcome to Astrology Hub's Inner Circle, home for curious newbies, devoted enthusiasts, and anyone looking to use astrology to consciously navigate their path ahead and transform their lives. Inner Circle members get exclusive access to new astrologer guides each month to lead you through different astrological topics and perspectives, detailed live new moon and full moon forecasts to guide you through the lunar cycle and work with the cosmic tides, a new mastery class each month teaching a different astrological technique so you can gain confidence in your chart reading skills, monthly live chart demos and Q&A with astrologer guides with a chance to submit your chart to be used as an example, and access to our private community where you can discuss the cosmic tides, share your art and creativity, ask questions about your chart, and share insights and resources with your fellow students. Plus, exclusive bonus supporting content, including a live new moon intention setting ceremony each month, daily text cosmic updates on important transits and energies, and bonus mastery classes on the part of fortune and spirit with Donna Woodwell, Retrograde Planets with Michelle Dench, and the Galactic Center with Julia Balas. The Inner Circle community is the place for anyone hungry for meaningful connection with other students of astrology, and enrollment is currently open for new students. We know that everyone has their own unique path to discovery. The Inner Circle will meet you where you're at and give you the tools to get where you wanna go with our step-by-step -step learning path guide. We may be all different and on our own paths, but we're all under the same sky. And our community is home to thousands of people united in our individuality and shared journey of discovery. Go to astrologyhub.com slash IC23 to learn more. I really hope that you'll join us on the inside.